Let us pray. Holy One, open us to your word. Open our hearts and minds in new ways, helping us set aside everything we think we already know for a new experience of your word and your truth and your presence. And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I'm sending you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of God for us. This passage begins with the words, while they were talking about this. So let's go back a few verses to find out what is the this. Well, this is a resurrection appearance by Jesus. And just before this, Jesus had appeared to the two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to them as if a stranger, for they did not recognize him. But they were talking amongst themselves about the tragedy of the days just prior, about Good Friday, how Jesus, the one they were following, the hoped-for Messiah that God was promising to send that would free them from all oppression, from the empire of Rome, that same Jesus not only did not save them from that oppression, but was arrested and tried and tortured and put to death. These disciples were deeply grieved and troubled, and they shared this story with this man. And as the day wore on, Jesus, as they got to the end of the day, Jesus was going to keep walking, but they invited him to have a meal, for it was getting late. And we're told that Jesus took the bread offered to him, and he broke it and gave it to them. 
and the eyes of the disciples were open and they recognized him. And then they remembered while he had been, Jesus had been reading the scriptures to them, telling that all these things must happen to the Christ, but that on the third day he would rise again. And then they realized how their hearts had been burning within them because of the presence of the risen Christ. It is the risen Jesus who comes to the other disciples today. Those two disciples from the road to Emmaus in their joy ran back to Jerusalem to that locked room where their companions were huddled up in fear. And they were telling their story as Peter was telling his story of having encountered the risen Christ himself. And out of nowhere, through a locked door, Jesus stood among them. What happens next in the story reminds me of the teaching of Jesus in the gospel. In Matthew 19, where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a child, you won't see me and you won't experience the realm of God. Not having my own children or any kids in my house much at all, the children of the world, including your own, bless me. And they teach me many things about how and why to remain childlike, just as Jesus calls us to do. I'll share a story with you I shared a few years ago that happened while I was on a silent retreat. We were being coached on how to go about the, the 30 days of silence that we were there to, to encounter and how to keep custody of our eyes, meaning not to make eye contact with others so as not to distract one another from any prayer time we might be in. So day one, I decide to leave the retreat property and, and head to a forest, a park of the town, right, right next door. It was a beautiful grove of redwoods. So there were people from the town strolling on the path in this park, and I tried to avoid them as best I could. I took a path this way, but this little boy had spotted me. And as I turned my back to him and walked, he said, Hello! Hello! But I kept walking, wanting to obey the rules of silence and no eye contact. But I simply could not ignore that sweet voice any longer, nor did I want to. So I stopped and I just quickly turned around intending to give a quick hello, a quick wave. And as I did, he said, look, look at me. He was riding a, what appeared to be a brand new bicycle all by himself with training wheels, a shiny new helmet, and a big flag rising into the air from attached to his seat. And I smiled and waved and was so glad I could share in that joy and receive his gift and offer the gift to him to truly see him is what he wanted for me, to see him, to look. And just a couple of days ago, I was riding my bicycle on the Loveland Trail, and I came upon a grandmother and her two grandchildren riding their bikes. And as I went to pass them, I came alongside them, and the seven-year-old girl noticed me and said, Hello! She was all decked out in rainbow from head to toe, from her hair decorations, her clothing, her shoes, her bicycle, her helmet, everything. 
And I told her how beautiful she looked. And she thanked me and began telling me her whole life story as we rode our bikes together, including how she was going to receive a puppy on her birthday a whole year from now. And as we rode, her older brother, about 11-year-old, started talking to me also, telling me he's a baseball player and how he had received an injury from making, I'm sure, stellar throws. When we got back to the parking lot and were taking care of our bicycles, that, that young boy came over to me and he pointed to his shoulder. He said, he said, here, touch my shoulder. And I tried to stay as safe as I could and I put my hand on his shoulder while he raised it up and down. He wanted me to feel his injury which he seemed so proud of knowing that he, he got it doing something he loved and was very good at. He wanted me to feel it. And I was honored by those encounters, filled with gratitude that we could share that hospitality with one another. Unless you become like a child, you're going to miss out on what God is doing, Jesus seems to be saying. And Jesus himself, in very childlike fashion, it seems to me, shows up in that upper room in the midst of his disciples telling stories but still terrified over the events that had happened to them. And he shows up and says, Look, look, it's me. Here, see my wounds. Touch me. Come and see. It is me. He wanted them so to believe. He wanted them to not be afraid anymore. He wanted them to know joy. And in his talking, in his very presence, some of their fear gave way to amazement, still bewildered, but they wanted to know more. And Jesus goes on to say, do you have anything to eat? As if to drive home the point that he's not a ghost, that he's truly the Jesus that they knew, but in a new way and very much alive. It has been said that you can't go back to life before a storm, meaning storms leave disaster. The calamity that they leave in their wake can happen to our property, our homes, and our very lives. And some of our storms are internal, things that we endure just by living as humans on this earth. And life as we know it before a storm can never truly be gone back to. This is what I think the disciples probably were hoping for, that they could go back to when their friend Jesus was still alive, when there was still hope that he would actually save them and give them a new reality. And I wonder if we can relate to this. I know for me, very often, either I'm thinking it or I'm hearing it from others. I can't wait to go back to normal. Or, gal, if we can just do this again, or when will we be able to do this again? This pandemic has served to be some kind of storm for all of us in the world, either big or small, some with devastating effects for us, some with just minimal. But anyway, it's anxiety-provoking to not know what's ahead. At least life before this, we seem to think we might know what's ahead. And it offered some kind of security. Yet there truly is no going back. For we are changed by the storms in our life. 
And Jesus seems to be wanting to, to teach the disciples this by sharing with them the scriptures. He opens for them their scriptures, the books of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, beginning with their ancestor Abraham and Sarah. And what does God tell Abram and Sarai before they get their new names? God says, go, leave your home, go to the land that I will show you. I will bless you, and through you, all the world will be blessed. You are blessed to be a blessing. Abram and Sarah were given no map, no address, no GPS. God said, go. All you need is this, that I promise you, I will be with you, and I will guide you every step. I will show you what you need to know when you need to know it. God says more will be revealed right on time. These are the same scriptures Jesus revealed to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and in that upper room. And it begins to teach them that the journey of faith does not come with a map. There is no going back to the good old days. It is truly a journey, an open-ended journey with an ongoing invitation to trust and to say yes to God again every day. Our faith ancestors, the Israelites, knew this. The descendants of Abraham who were living in Egyptian slavery, who through Moses and Miriam and Aaron, those three siblings, God led them out of captivity into the desert where they had to rely on God every day for their food, only given them once a day the manna from heaven, but it was enough. It was their guidance. It was all they needed for the next step. And this is the invitation to us on our faith journey. And the resurrection has something to do with this, otherwise we would not have accounts of the risen Jesus showing up. So what does the resurrection mean for us anyway? For starters, Jesus wants us to know that our lives right here in our bodies, on this earth, matter. That Jesus sat down with them at table and ate their leftover fish with them. Jesus wanted them to know he cared. He cared and that their lives meant something. That resurrection is not just for some future address and some future heaven. It matters for our lives right here and right now. It means something, and what does resurrection look like? It often happens around our dining tables. All throughout Luke's gospel especially, Jesus is eating and drinking with friends, enemies, strangers, the outcasts, the forgotten. He's being invited in, he's receiving hospitality, and he's also giving it. And it changes lives. I want to share a scene with you from the movie Moonstruck, a 1987 romantic comedy where the couple Rose and Cosmo have been married for decades. And Cosmo has experienced a sense of meaningless in his life, perhaps a late midlife crisis. And seeming that life seems futile to him, he ends up having an extramarital affair. And his wife, Rose, played by Olympia Dukakis, 
Because she's intuitive and knows her husband of so many years, she knows without being told that this is going on. And I want to share a scene with you of a breakfast table where there's a lot of tension because of this knowledge. And let's see what happens as Sean plays the scene for us. Have I been a good wife? Yeah. I want you to stop seeing her. go to confession. A man understands one day that his life is built on nothing. And that's a bad, crazy day. <laughs> Your life is not built on nothing. Tiano. Uh, Tiano. I love you. His life is not built on nothing because they have a shared love. And they were able to acknowledge it because of the priceless gift of forgiveness that Rose offered her husband Cosmo in that moment at that very dining table. And a sense of peace came over that table with the smiles exchanged, the kiss being blown. This is not unlike the scene in that room with Jesus sitting at the table. Our lives are not built on nothing. They mean something because we come from a God who loves us and says you are utterly loved and I have sent you into the world to share it. Jesus began his words with peace. And at the end of his words, he gives the disciples their new job. They are to go out into all the world and share the message of repentance, a change of heart, a change of life through forgiveness to everyone. And where does it begin but right there in Jerusalem, right where they are? We don't have to go anywhere to begin this mission that we too inherit. We're to spread that good news that lives matter because resurrection happens. And whenever we encounter love, forgiveness, grace, hospitality of giving and receiving around our tables, we encounter the risen Christ and we are transformed a little more. Friends, may we continue in childlike wonder 
and expectation to encounter the risen Christ among us, to come and look and see and help others go and look and see that we might all find Christ within and all around, setting us free. Thanks be to God. Amen.